Navigating a public image can be challenging. Whether you're building a brand, rebuilding your reputation, or just trying to get on the radar, you need the public to trust you. But does the public trust anyone anymore? And has it ever trusted public relations? Welcome to Deep Dive, powered by Coldwater Communications. I'm your host, Tamara Stanners. Recent studies paint a grim picture of the decline in local newspapers. There are newsrooms across the country that are seeing their staffs decimated. Newsroom jobs lost and shut down. People actually trust banks more than they do newspapers or TV news in this country. And I think we're really seeing a fraying of communities as a result. With newsrooms being closed down across the country, does PR find itself in the midst of a predicament? The media industry has always been volatile but it seems as though it's never been as uncertain as it is right now. Which platform, which medium, which method of communication will be relied upon by the public for news and information moving forward? And given PR's reliance on the media as a means of getting their messages out, what does it all mean for the future of public relations? We are thrilled to have Dan Tisch, President and CEO of Argyle Communications, joining us for this discussion. Dan is a PR futurist. He is also the author of The Elevation of Public Relations, and he is a sought-after expert on the topic of the profession's present and its possible future. Thank you so much for being here, Dan. Let's dive in. After your years in this profession, you have some experience, and I would like to know how you would describe the current state of the media and news-gathering organizations. I think it's a time of tremendous change that we've seen, but it's not a change that's happening overnight. It really is a gradual change, right? And a lot of people say, well, the traditional media is dying or disappearing. That is completely not happening, right? <laughs> that is not the truth. And the best way that I understand it is it is a crisis of revenue, but it's not a crisis of audience, right? The audiences for TV news, for example, have become have been relatively stable. They even went up a little bit during the pandemic. But what's dropped, of course, is ad revenue, right? And so what else has changed? You know, how the platform or platforms people are using to get their news, that's changed uh, in that, you know, now 90% of people roughly are getting their news digital first, right? But they're still getting it from some of the same sources that we've watched and listened to and read all of our lives, right? They've just taken these brands online, these media brands. We're seeing kind of mixture of consolidation and fragmentation, right? So if you look at broadcast, you have the consolidation into just a few big players, CBC, Bell Media, Chorus, Slash Global, Rogers, etc. And then the same thing in print, local media being owned by, you know, Post Media or Torstar or Quebec or whatever. So we see that consolidation, but we also see fragmentation. And what I mean by that is there are so many niche voices out there and so many diverse voices, and that's both good and bad. So the good is that there's some really high quality journalism that's happening through journalists taking their skill sets and going into digital only media, selling it on a subscription basis, and actually writing some pretty powerful and influential and often provocative pieces for discerning readers or listeners in the case of a podcast. And so you get uh, like the logic or the line or the conversation, you know, stuff that is really worth looking at and worth reading. So that's the good. The other good thing about it is more diverse voices, right? It's not just people of uh, 
majority cultures, uh, you have more and more even traditional media platforms and, and brands really working hard to diversify what stories are being told and also who's telling them. The stuff that's not so good is, of course, you've got a real spectrum of legitimacy, right? So you have some very low quality journalism that's happening because anybody can be a journalist now, right? And misinformation spreads. More seriously, you get into the realm of disinformation, the intentional spreading of content that's not true, right? So sometimes this is ideologically driven. Sometimes there's there are malicious actors. And final thing I'll say, I guess, is the tenor and tone of media is changing because of this crisis of revenue. So you see the big traditional players, you're seeing them lean into investigative journalism and even sometimes, if not frequently, bordering on sensationalism because you see journalists being rewarded for the clicks on their stories. And so in my world, for instance, in the you know corporate communications world, this means that there's a lot less sort of mainstream company news and a lot more personality-driven CEO-type stories, like the battle for control of Rogers, for instance, or Frank Stronach and his family fighting over Magna, right? Like the personality stuff is what they're focusing on because that's what drives their economic model. And you're seeing echoes of this in local news where there's a lot more tendency towards, you know, uh, is it not true that uh, this is happening at City Hall and what are you doing about it? Gotcha sort of stories. You're seeing that echo at the local level. So, Sorry, it's a long answer, but that's kind of a bit of a picture of a few things that I see happening. How has it impacted how PR practitioners do their jobs? The answer is not universal. You see different organizations and different professionals adapting in different ways, right? Because in some ways, there's good news and bad news, right? The good news is that there's always going to be value in earning attention from those who are creating content that reaches and influences the public that you want to reach, whoever your target is, right? So a journalist, an analyst, an opinion leader, you know, anyone who has reach and who has credibility. Um, and you can actually argue that, well, if there are fewer journalists out there and fewer outlets, but audiences are still huge, well, maybe the role of the media relations practitioner is as powerful and as valuable as ever. You could make that argument and it's not wrong to make it. The, the challenge though, is that if media relations it's no longer for a lot of PR firms and a lot of PR departments, it's no longer the bread and butter service it once was. And that's the biggest change, right? Fewer journalists, fewer outlets mean fewer jobs in media relations, right? That's just the equation. But those who do it well can do really well because they're valuable, right? So what do I see happening? I see more of a focus on a blend of not just earned media, but also paid and, and shared and owned media as part of a holistic strategy that PR it increasingly is leading, which I think is great. You see more targeting of influencers with all of the ethical minefields around authenticity and remuneration that come from that. And you see more diversification of the PR business to other types of services, right? But the key question is, what are organizations and leaders valuing and how can we play better? How can we leverage our core skill set in building relationships credibility, trust, and attention from those who are creating content and leveraging that ability to every stakeholder that matters to the organization or its clients. Considering that the changing media landscape has made it harder to get earned media coverage, how is the value of the work changing? Well, the good news for anybody in PR, whether you call it PR or corporate communications or anything else, like the value has never been greater. 
And the reason for that is because communication has never been more prized in corporate boardrooms than it is now, right? It's almost unthinkable now to hire a CEO who does not have communication skills. So in some ways, it's not too much of a stretch to say that leadership is communication. Now, I think it's a tiny stretch because it is, of course, other things, right? Not just communication. It's also action and decisions and strategy and risk management and, you know, all the other good things. But so much of the job is communication. And so much of the risk is related to communication and to, back to the name of our profession, to the relationship that the organization and the leader have with their public. So it's immensely more valuable than when I was starting out. But the, the sources of value, I think, are changing. It's not just we're the ones who look after the media. Now it's we're the ones who look after the organization's reputation, which is an immense and growing part of its market value. If we're doing our jobs well, right? We're the ones that if we're doing our jobs well, that leaders look to at a time of risk, stress or crisis. We're the ones that uh, are involved, not just in kind of the big news items, but in risk management and helping the CEO articulate their vision in employer branding, in diversity, equity, and inclusion, in corporate reporting, right? In stakeholder engagement, right? Which is an area our business has really leaned into and invested in and into relationships with diverse communities. And so there's so much that we're now able to do with tools that we, again, when I was starting out, we never even dreamed of having these tools at our disposal to be able to go about our work. And so the value is rising, but the role of media relations within that kind of value creation story, it's still big, but it's not as dominant a force as it once was. Is media relations still essential to PR? Yes, they are and they always will be. Because if you think about any time, any of us has to make a big decision in our lives, something to do with our health or our wealth, right? Like what treatment, you know, is most promising for my condition than a big purchase, you know? Uh, what are the emerging neighborhoods, you know, that I may want to live in? Uh, I want to buy an electric car, which one's best, right? Well, the ad will raise our awareness, sure, and it has a role and it can even be something which educates us. But fundamentally, we're still always going to turn to what we perceive as trusted sources that are not biased by someone having paid for the content, but are actually reflect some expertise and some analysis, right? And so that's always going to be necessary. And it's always going to be really valuable. Are there other areas of value that are becoming more important than media? Yeah, well, I think I alluded to some of them, right? I think how an organization engages its public, that's an area of real and robust value. How an organization understands and anticipates reputation risk and prepares for crisis, right? I mean, you know, too often leaders think of, you know, we get a call saying, we want your help responding to a crisis, or if we have a crisis, we'd like to know that you're out there so that you can help us. And usually 100% of the time I'll say, well, maybe the smart thing though, you, you can make the call, but the smart thing maybe isn't just to call us, you know, when it's in case of emergency, break the glass, but actually, why don't we actually invest in preparation and prevention, not just response and recovery, right? So those are really key emerging areas of value. And I alluded to some of the others, like employer branding. That's a really huge one. And I see that has just picked up steam during the pandemic, right? Like the idea of communicating inside to influence the reputation 
of the organization on the outside. That's a huge emerging area of value. Public affairs, social media, diversity, equity, and inclusion, indigenous reconciliation. Like there's so many areas where if you think about it, if your starting point is, are we creating reputational capital? And are we the ones who are involved in or helping to lead or actually leading, you know, that whole exercise, that's when we're going to be offering more value. The challenge though, is that some of these areas in some organizations, you don't have the CEO and senior leaders looking to the PR team, right? The PR team is pigeonholed as, oh, well, you're the guys who put out the press releases, right? Or you're the guys who run the, the Facebook account, right? As opposed to you're my advisor on any issue to do with my relationships and my reputation. And that's where we got to get. How have the most successful PR professionals adapted their approach? I think what they're doing is they're thinking about what they're good at doing and mapping that against the areas of organizational value. And when I say they, I don't necessarily just mean the professional. I mean the, the PR department, right? Or the PR agency. So it's thinking, okay, what are we really good at doing? And what's the, the nexus between that and what the clients value and are going to pay for or internal clients, you know, are going to value and ask us to be part of. And then the question is, okay, if there are areas of value where we know that there is value and there is a market out there, but we're not that good at those things, well, can we get good at those things? And it was interesting. I spent a few years some time ago as chair of the Global Alliance for PR and Communication Management, the sort of umbrella of the federation of all of the national and international PR and communications associations. And we did a study called the Global Capabilities Project, which is interesting because it looked at, I think, eight to 10 different countries, major countries with very well-developed PR professions. And they asked senior leaders and academics, what do you see as the most important emerging capabilities? And it was interesting because in looking at the report from that study, by far, the areas that came across the most were areas that had to do with strategic skills and analytical skills, and not a lot related to technical skills. There was only one, and that was, can you communicate across a wide range of platforms? Well, I'd say that's more of a technical skill, but the ones that were very strong align the organization's communication with its purpose and values, for instance, offering organizational leadership, right? Ensuring that the organization's ethics are in line with societal expectations. So these are all strategic. And then there were the capabilities that were more analytical, right? Conducting research to underpin communication, providing leaders with contextual intelligence, what's happening out there, what do we need to be aware of, right? So I'm just giving you a few examples from some of the key skills that emerge or key capabilities. But the key takeaway for me is, I think the future for PR is one of better strategists, better analysts, and maybe fewer technicians. If you ask, you know, what are the front runners in our business doing? They're looking at the organization the way only one other person does, and that's the CEO. Like they're looking at the whole organization, they're taking that bird's eye view, they can dive deep when they need to. Like, you know, there used to be a closer relationship between communications and marketing than there is today, in my view, right? My very simple proxy on that topic or my metric is, how often is our firm hired by someone with marketing in their title? It still happens. And we, and we have great relationships with head directors or VPs or, or CMOs, of, VPs of marketing or CMOs. 
But usually marketing is there at the table, but they're not our key client, usually. Usually our client has communications in their title or they have a C in their title because the marketing at its best is about the organization's relationship with one audience and that's the customer. For marketing to be really effective, that's what it really should be about. Like, it's like, who's our customer? You know, what's the right price, the product, the place, the promotion? You know, how do we get it in front of that customer? And take that customer through kind of a decision-making process that has them make the decision we want them to make. Our job is different. Our job is to look at all of the relationships, not just the customer, but anything else that could affect the organization's success and create the environment for it to achieve its mission. What are the greatest capabilities for professionals to develop today? I would once again come back to the strategic skills and the analytical skills. It's those two things, right? So can you read a financial statement? (laughs) You know, like, do you have basic business literacy? Do you know where the organization makes its money? Or in the case of a nonprofit, not that money is not important. It's incredibly important for nonprofits too. But for a nonprofit, like, what are the most important areas involved in the organization achieving its mission? And so what are the current greatest areas of value to the organization and what are the emerging areas for the future? So do you have that business and organizational literacy? Second, I'd say, do you have some skills at managing and interpreting research, right? So that you know what the public, the stakeholder, the audience is saying and thinking, and you can more knowledgeably, therefore, say, okay, we're going to test message A and message B and decide and, and recommend which is the best one to use, right? So it's less about the gut and it's more about what is the research telling us, right? So I think business literacy is really key. I think research, you know, capabilities are really key, you know, and analytical capabilities around the research. I think public policy literacy is really valuable too, because with public policy, there's an increasingly thin line, I think, between public relations and public affairs, right? So if your organization is doing great things and generating a lot of value and delivering a lot of value, but for whatever reason, there's a party leadership race somewhere and someone gets elected premier somewhere, I'm being hypothetical, of course, and they don't happen to like your industry, your organization, and they come after you because it's politically advantageous to do so, well, you've got a problem. And I think the, the professional who's got a broad enough skill set to be able to say, I can help with that. And it doesn't mean you have to be an expert or a specialist, but it's kind of knowing enough to be dangerous. That becomes really important. What do you foresee as the future state of media, let's say in five or 10 years? I think some of the trends we're talking about here, I don't think they're going to change. I think we're going to continue to see consolidation and fragmentation happening at the same time. I think we're going to continue to see audiences be very, very strong, mainly on a digital first platform, but revenue generation become a big challenge. We're going to see more and more paywalls and and low cost subscription models for content that we want and value. I think we're going to continue to see niche players and actors, some of them malicious, some kind of (laughs) sloppy and inept, right? And some outstanding, you know, and those voices developing, giving people all sorts of choices. And so I think in some ways it's going to be easier to reach an audience, a niche audience, and harder to reach a mass audience because we're not all reading, viewing, and listening to the same thing at the same time. So it gets harder. More investigative journalism, more sensationalism, unfortunately, (laughs) I don't welcome that, but more opportunity, I think, to help organizations assess risk. And if there's one 
hopeful thing, I think, in all this, or, or one hope I have, it's that we can do something about critical thinking, media literacy, you know, and I think the social platforms. For me, it was a big moment in the last five years when they stopped considering themselves like the phone company, right? Like, you know, we have no responsibility for what happens, you know, on our network. They've started, I think there's a very good thing saying, yeah, we, we do. We accept that responsibility and we're going to come up with better tools to help people understand what is true and accurate and what is wrong, inaccurate, dangerous, or malicious, right? And so I can see better and better tools coming forward to help people navigate and make decisions that are at least based on truth, not lies. I'm quite confident we'll have better tools. What I'm not as confident about is will we actually use them? Or will people, you know, say in these little filter bubbles where they refuse to entertain any information that's not consistent with their worldview? Given the relationship between public relations and the media, what does the PR profession look like in the future? Again, I don't think there's one answer, but I think I have an instinct. And I think that instinct is that you're going to see PR departments and PR agencies making choices. And the biggest choice, the kind of directions that I see most common right now is doubling down on what I would call the content marketing paradigm, right? Like, so one of my competitors uses the term earned creative, for instance, right? Like, so it's still focusing on PR as we know it, but it's really leaning into kind of content creation. It's a bit closer to the marketing paradigm and it's really focusing on generating content that helps earn attention and affinity and all those good things. Incredibly valuable. And I think you'll see others and this is more where I've chosen to go with our business and our senior team have decided is the right strategy for us, is more of the what I would call the management consulting paradigm, which is we consider ourselves engagement, reputation, and communications advisors. So, you know, we are providing what we view as higher value services where we have exceptional strategic skills and analytical skills. And no matter what service the client is buying or what type of client it is, no matter what sector it is, everybody needs advisors who can give them the right uh, counsel and direction and strategy and implementation when they've got to engage a public, when they've got to anticipate and deal with risks to their reputation, seize opportunities and seize opportunities to build it, right? So I think those are two different choices and both are legitimate and there's certainly lots of value and, and lots of career opportunity and revenue in each of them. But in some ways I see more of the need to decide where you're going to play because it's a broader playing field than it was when media relations was, you know, the gorilla in the room. What can PR practitioners do today to prepare for the work of tomorrow? Well, I think it's just doing an assessment of where you are. You know, even some of the stuff that we've talked about today. You know, we talked about the importance of strategic skills and analytical skills or capabilities, you know, individually and organizationally, right? Being the foundation of the future. I'd look at that. I'd look at the Global Capabilities Report from the Global Alliance, right? I'd look at other research and studies about kind of where the market is moving and what skills are needed for professional success, not just coming out of school, but throughout your career, right? So I think looking inside is really important. And then looking outside, somewhat outside, right? And what I mean by that is, whom are we serving? If you're a member of a PR department, it's talking to the leader about the subject. If you're the leader of the department, it's talking to the CEO or whomever you report to. I hope it is the CEO because it should be. And it's talking about 
the areas of organizational value and how you can contribute to them. And it doesn't mean you have to lead them, right? Uh, something like diversity, equity, and inclusion. You wouldn't normally give that to the communications department to lead. But it would be a real shame if the communications department wasn't involved, right? Or employee engagement or corporate reporting or ESG strategy or so many other dimensions. So I think you look inside, what are our skills now? Where do we have opportunity? You look outside, you know, what do our clients and leaders of our organization believe is important? And then you look further outside at what's happening in the community. And that's where having business literacy, having consumer literacy, having public policy literacy, that becomes really important. Daniel, thank you so much. It's so refreshing to hear an optimistic and proactive approach to the future of public relations. Thank you for your time and your insight. Both are so very appreciated. Well, thank you, Tamara. I've really enjoyed it. And um, I so appreciate and admire everybody in our profession that's uh, doing this sort of work, that's having thoughtful dialogue about its future. It's also particularly interesting to me that what we're talking about here today is something I deeply care about, not just as a communications professional, but as a citizen, right? Like, I think we need strong media and strong journalism. And, you know, when while some people might celebrate when their news release gets picked up word for word <laughs> in the media outlet, there's a bit of celebration, but I always say, I don't want journalists who are uncritical, right? Because the job of a journalist is actually to evaluate the claims that uh, organizations and leaders make and try to come up with some synthesis an analysis that tells us what the truth is, or at least what the different versions of the truth might be. This conversation has been a great reminder to focus on what you can control instead of fixating on the fear of the unknown. Of course, that can be tough to remember in what some have described as the era of fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. Fake news. You are fake news. So how do PR professionals combat the misinformation and disinformation that seems to garner so much attention these days. Find out on the next episode of Deep Dive. Subscribe to Deep Dive for new episodes every month. For more information and social pages, visit coldwater-communications.ca.